Hi everybody, Wynn Claybaugh here, and I'm just so thrilled about this interview because you, you meet people who have incredible resumes, but then when you find out that they are also using that resume just as a platform to be able to get noticed, to then help other people, for me is just so, so attractive. We all have a platform, we all have a stage, we all have a spotlight, and it's what we do with that spotlight to serve others that, that truly is character building, sets us up for the kind of life that we want to have. And when you're around those kinds of people, you just feel it. You just feel calmness, you feel hope, you feel energized, and that's exactly uh, how I would describe Gerilyn Stevens. So, Gerilyn, welcome to Masters. Thank you so much. Thank you. The thing I love about Gerilyn is that you made this happen. It's not like I found out about you and tracked you down and stalked you, which is usually how I meet people, and I'm proud of that. Uh, you were the one who was yeah. the aggressor here. You're the one who said, you need to know who I am, and of course you were right. Yes. And then all the people around you told me the exact same thing. Get this, Gerilyn is a Guild Award-winning and seven-time Emmy-nominated hairstylist. She is the head stylist on The Voice, Shark Tank, Songland, Disney's Fam Jam. Is that a new one? Yeah, it's brand new. It's going to air at the end of February. Oh, can't wait to hear about it. Yeah. And other top-rated shows. So she has worked as a hairstylist and or makeup artist on 50-plus TV and film productions and has attracted a personal client list that includes both celebrities and non-celebrities alike. Obviously, I'm reading this. Gerilyn's motto, which we're going to talk about, is dream big or don't bother. That's what we should call this interview, right? That would yeah, be a good absolutely. theme. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She loves sharing her experience of how five simple F words transformed her <laughs> world and helped her manifest the life of her dreams. She is now on a mission to help others do the same. So she has this book called The Five F Words to Manifesting Your Life, which we're going to talk about, and gives an insider look on what it takes to be successful as a Hollywood hairstylist. Gerilyn currently lives in Los Angeles with her husband, son, and you have a pot-belly pig? Yes. Why do you have a pot-belly pig? My, well, my son. Lucy is the name? <laughs> Lucy. After who? <laughs> I, you know, it was like, honestly, like Lucille Ball. Of course. But it was just like one day I was like, what about Lucy? And my husband was like, I was thinking that yesterday, Lucy. And I was like, done. And that's kind of how our son's name came up too, was the same thing. He thought about it. I thought about it. I talked about it. He's like, I want Eli to be the name of our son. Okay, well, first... Before you came up with the name Lucy, yeah. what I want to know is how did you come up with the okay. idea that you wanted a pot Here, belly Here's pig. how it happened. My son and my husband are allergic to cats and dogs. So literally, I was like, how am I going to be a reptile mom? I am not a reptile mom. Don't like reptiles. And so I started researching and you know, trying to figure out what we could have and or what we were zoned for because there's that as well. And I mentioned... A pig and my husband poo-pooed it he was like no way I mentioned it again a year later and then it became his idea that is the secret to any relationship okay <laughs> you make you, it their idea you plant you, the seed you fool them <laughs> yes you plant the seed you nurture it and you let it become their idea and do not say I told you so that's hilarious that's hilarious <laughs> so yeah he was working on set and he works in our business as well he's a key grip and a woman had pigs there and she was telling him everything I had said and so then I said, all right, if this doesn't work out, remember, this was your idea. Okay, 
So how big is this pig? She's 75 pounds. Okay, did you think that this was going to be miniature? Because people say, oh, no. I, I got a miniature pig. There's no. no such thing, correct? I know. No, there is no such thing. And So the, they're really cute. Oh, this little, this little five-pound little people, pig is so cute. They're, they're starving. Okay. Or they're just babies. <laughs> and, and, I mean, it's not funny, but it's true. It's like the ones that stay small are not being fed properly. But this breeder told us she would be around 50 pounds She's 75 pounds. She's 75. Now, cut to a year later, we adopted Ricky. Ricky lived with us for six years until he passed away in October. Ricky's another pig. Yeah, we okay. adopted him. But he passed away last October, and he was 135 pounds. Oh, my gosh. Do they was, live in the house with he, you? Yes, he's my, he was my gentle giant. And I just loved him. Sorry to be so ignorant, but and they're clean. They're yes, they don't smell. Um, they have a pig door. They go in and out of, and they're like dogs. And we would come home, and they hear the garage door open, and they come greet us. They're so cute, uh, Ricky. I miss him a lot. But Lucy's living her best life now. <laughs> that is hilarious. And and also, what is a key grip? Your a husband's key, a key grip. You know, key. you always see that in the credits. Yeah. What is a key he's grip? He's basically... The, so they actually really do exist? Yes. And what do they do? I'll tell you real quick in a little... <laughs> he is the boss of his department, which okay. is the grip department, which the grip department is the department that makes the camera do anything it needs to do that the director or director of photography needs it to do. So if it needs to be mounted on a car, they're those guys that mount it on the car. Or if the sun needs to be blocked and all of that, or a house needs to be tented to make it look at nighttime, these are the grip guys. Got it. Yes. Okay. Okay, now I'm I'm educated on key grips and on uh, <laughs> pigs. <laughs> pigs for pets. Okay, so tell us your story about going to beauty school back when you were 25. Now, well, 25, you were basically an old lady by then. Uh, you know what? And I felt like it in beauty school. <laughs> Seriously. But I was such a lost soul throughout my entire teenage life into my early 20s. And I kind of, I moved to Seattle and I was bartending and I knew I did not want to be 30 years old in bartending. Right. And so one of my friends decided to go to esthetician school and she said, why don't you go to hair school? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. So at the age of 25, I decided I needed to get my life together, and I went to beauty school. But while I was in beauty school, it was like all of a sudden I became like, oh my gosh, this is my purpose in life. I love to make people feel and look good. And so that's how that all came about. So what, you were bartending prior to that? I stayed, yeah. I actually bartended through almost 30 to build my clientele and my business. And I knew that I always wanted to be doing hair in Hollywood. So that was my ultimate goal. So I was doing everything I could in between to make myself prepared. Can you give a shout out about that? Because I have people who are like embarrassed to tell me that they are bartenders or that they work at Starbucks or that they're doing whatever they have to do to launch yeah. a career, to go to beauty school, build a clientele, and launch their dreams. But they're embarrassed about that. Well, you know what? I like to pay my bills. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I like money. Right. So, yeah, I bartended at night three days a week while I was establishing myself. I actually apprenticed for a year and a half in a salon underneath a woman. And all of this still in Seattle? All of this still in Seattle. Okay. I stayed in Seattle till I was 31 years old. Okay. 
and then moved to Los Angeles. Because, of course, fear slowed me down from moving here. Mm -hmm. But during that time, I knew if I wanted to be in Hollywood, I was told to do makeup as well. So I went to makeup school. I started doing hair and makeup for any free job that came along, photo shoots. I sought out, you know, anyone, models, photographers, independent films, anything I heard about. For some reason, you know, like it's all synchronicities. When you start to want something, they all come to you. So people were offering me all these free jobs. And so that's how I built my like portfolio back then was from just doing little paid or free opportunity. I've, I've heard people literally brand new into their career, maybe right out of beauty school or even five years into their career saying, oh, I would never do anything for free. What do you say to those people? Oh, God, you know, honestly, it's how bad do you want it? Hmm. You know, because you don't know what that opportunity is going to bring for the next opportunity. A lot of jobs haven't panned out to anything except for experience. But then there's been jobs that have panned out to the next and the next and then becoming into the circle of working people, working freelance artists. I still, as a speaker, that my other career that I have, of course I still do stuff for free. Yeah. Whether I'm asked because it's a charitable organization or it's just a group of people that I want to be connected to. I just want to have that experience or I want to travel to that city or whatever it is. I just want to be able to have that experience. Well, I'm doing the same thing, you know, with speaking at the schools because I made it a mission to give back and speak to people about my journey and how I got there through manifesting my five F words. And I am saying yes to everything. You know, I will go speak anywhere if it's going to help someone with becoming who they're meant to be and give them motivation and encouragement. So at some point you then visited a film set. Tell us about that. Yes. Was that in Seattle that as well? That was in Seattle. Okay, in so they're shooting beauty. a film yes. in Seattle. Here's how that worked. I was in beauty school. My friend who was going to esthetician school started dating a grip. There you so go. So he was hired locally to work on a Los Angeles film. So we went to go visit, and he introduced me to the hair and makeup trailer. They were all so wonderful. And they're like, if you want to do what we're doing, move to Los Angeles. And I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And that's when I, in beauty school, I found my purpose and my dream. So I got really lucky. I think. And you learned what a key grip is. I learned. So (laughs) I got to date me a a key grip. (laughs) They're good guys. Okay. So, um, and you were still in beauty school through all of this. Mm -hmm. But then at what point did you finally move down? Because you graduated, got a job at a salon. So you were still delaying this process. I was because I knew I needed to get experience. I couldn't just move down here straight out of beauty school and be like, here I am. You know, so I prepared myself for the opportunity. Like I said, makeup, I freelanced, I was uh, renting a chair. After I did the apprenticeship, I actually went and rented a chair so that I could have more flexibility in my personal career development and being able to take jobs and move my clients around if I needed to. So I did that for four years. And then finally, I felt like, okay, I am ready. I said, I'm going to move on November 1st, 2001. And I planned it for about six months. And then 9-11 happened. And Mm -hmm. then I, of course, go into fear, and I'm like, maybe I'm not going to go. And I just had to 
pushed through it and I, I went anyway. And um, I actually had a friend down here and I stayed with them for a month while I got my own place. And I actually flew back and forth to Seattle every six weeks and did a bunch of clients so that I pay could. The bills. Yeah, I just didn't want to lose that income. Right. You know? So um, were you then. While still in Seattle, working on films, working on sets, no, so I no opportunities no while you opportunity were there. there. None. Mm-mm. But uh, you did. You you talked about building your portfolio. Uh, yeah, through photographs. Okay, so talk about that. Is that still something that you, you know, need to do today? I think people look at Instagram now. Okay, but that still requires having a good eye. Yeah, doing good hair and makeup, knowing. And understanding lighting, it still requires marketing, it still requires timing, it still requires all of those things. It does. It does. I think if I were starting fresh, I would definitely think more about that than I do now. More Um, about? The lighting and the picture and the portfolio aspect of it. Because honestly, I don't think too much about it sometimes as my portfolio anymore. I feel like I am my portfolio. If you want to What do you mean by that? Like reputation and I get referred and um, it's not so much anymore of like what does your Instagram look like for hair for me anymore? Right. It's really referral as me as a professional. Okay. But I'm telling you if I were starting out I would do it differently than I am doing it right now I think. Does that make sense? Well, of course. You you, you paid your dues, so to speak. You, I, I guess, you, you, yes. You've got the name. You've got the clients who not only was she great at hair and makeup, but she was easy to work with. She was yeah. She was a, a pleasure to be around. I'm sure all of that precedes you, correct? I would definitely be taking that class. Okay. okay. <laughs> and I probably should. Okay. All right. So if you go to my Instagram, I might need to hire someone if you know anybody. <laughs> Have you seen my Instagram? I think I need Yours, a... Uh, I love your daughter. Oh, I know, I know. You know, it's like, I try not to do that a lot, but... I know, I throw one in I there. Can, I can so post often. a picture of me and the most famous person on the planet, and then I post something of my daughter, and, and there's, is, you know, thousands of hits. Yes. Right? I know, it's funny that way, so, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to ride on her coattails because <laughs> she's cute and adorable and I'm not so much. Yeah, but, so how long have you now been doing this? Because so you, you said you were 31 when you moved down to... to okay. Because I know people are putting a timeline on on this. They're thinking, oh, okay. well, Geraldine built this entire career in six months. No. Okay. So when I was 31, I moved to Los Angeles. And I will have to say from my 20s into... 32 years old, I was drinking way too much and I was in a very dark place. So the fact that I even could actually get myself to Los Angeles is a miracle to me. When I moved here, I spent that year of heavy drinking and seclusion, um, which was easy because I didn't really know anybody. I was working at a barber shop on Sunset and I started shaking during a haircut. And from the alcohol, I, from the alcohol, and so they let me go home. Obviously, that day, and I actually opened up the yellow pages to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I like found the address and went. Mm-hmm. And so that process from beauty school till that point, I think, could have happened a hundred percent faster than it did. Okay, because once I got sober and I got clarity and I was out of the fog, I got power. And like 
I saw things much clearer. I had more motivation. I was like, all right. And I started reading every self-help book that I could get my hands on. And I really, um, once I, I'm telling you, once I got that out of my life, it took me two months to manifest my first job that changed my career forever. So. I want to talk about your sobriety, and I know that you want to talk about it yeah. as well. I was talking to somebody the other day, and and he said to me that his sobriety is like his superpower. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that's his secret sauce, so to speak. I that. feel like it is. I mean, because honestly, I like to think of sober as sexy, you know. Sober mm-hmm. is sexy, and I feel like I do have that secret of, like, that secret power that you're saying. It kind of is that. And... I don't like prance about it, and I do talk about it in my speeches. And why, do, why, why do you talk about because it? Because I every single time I get somebody either afterwards or after in a DM message, how I help them. Right. Um, last year in Long Beach at ISSE, that was actually my first speaking engagement, and there was a woman afterwards, and she was like, I have four kids, and I'm kind of, you know, I've struggled with alcohol, and I looked at her, and I go, so how much time do you have? She remembers all this, she, and she told me, I, I forgot that I had said that. I go, how much time do you have? She goes, I have today. I'm like, that's amazing. And so then she actually DM'd me when I had um, this month after ISSE, and she was like, I want to tell you I have a year. Wow. I'm like, it gives me chills. A year sober. A year sober, and she had four kids. Mm -hmm. And, like, if I can share with someone my difficulties and struggles and darkness with alcohol, and it's not just alcohol for people. It's drugs. It's food. It's video games. It's, like, whatever's keeping you from doing what you... It's social media. Yeah. You know, all of that. It's, like... We all have issues, you know, and the people that talk about it help other people, Hmm. you know. That's why I talk about it is I want to help at least just one person. So you're how many years now? Wow, that's a story. I have five and a half right now. I had five years and ten months. Okay. So when I got sober, when I was 33 or two, I met my husband. He doesn't really drink. But my life got so good, and we had our baby, and things were great. I forgot where I came from. And I thought, well, of course, this is alcoholism talking to me. And I knew it in my mind. But I was like, I told my husband, I go, you know, I think I'm okay. You know, I think that, you know, you know, just like one or two occasionally, you know. He's like, okay. Um, right. <laughs> well, I guess you could always go back to AA if you need to or, you know. And I was like, yeah. So I literally sh- told my friends in my tribe, as I call them, what I was going to do. Like, I'm I've going got five to, years I am, sober. I'm, I've got I'm, five years and ten I'm months. Cured. I'm okay now. I got this under control. I, can do I think I was in a bad time. I am going to go do this. And they were like, we are here for you. We love you. We will see you soon. Okay. And and what happened? (laughs) What happened was as I uh, really had a hard time. I really tried to keep that under control, and it occupied my mind constantly. How, How quickly? Not very quickly. I went two years of drinking, Okay, and then I didn't drink for a year. 
but I didn't go back to the program. I didn't go back to like telling people really. And then I drank for a year. And then I was like, my husband, I love him so dearly. He was like, listen, this Gerilyn was not in the brochure when I married you. <laughs> you were sober when you met. Yes. Interesting. He's like, either wow. you get your life back or I'm taking our son. Well. And I said, I almost was like, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. for." I'm so stubborn and I didn't want to give up. Like, I wanted alcohol to work in my life. And for him to say that to me finally was like, yes, I can finally give it up. Right? And I don't know. Most people don't think that way, but I do. Right? I have a feeling more people think that way than, than we would imagine. Where there are people who have a kind of a life that doesn't really necessarily work for them. Mm-hmm. And they're waiting for somebody else to just kind of... Be like, I'm done with you. <laughs> well, that and to throw them a, a life preserver. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I see you. Yeah. This isn't working for you. And guess what? I remember you being a better version of this. Yeah. That's what your husband said. I remember a better 100%. version of this. So he wasn't judging you. He wasn't attacking you. He was like, come on. This isn't the real Yeah. Best I mean, there was a lot in there. Because, like, I would hide my drinking. Right. You know, I would prefer you to think I don't drink and actually Oh, yeah, we, we, we got good at that. Yeah. We, we could hide it. Right? Right. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Thank you. So, it's it's we're at five and a half now. So, when I fit, hit six this year, it'll be, like, the biggest accomplishment of, like, yes, what's, I did what's, it. What's your anniversary? Uh, July 20th. July 20th. I'm writing that down because you're going to hear from me on July 20th. <laughs> Thank you. Mine is uh, September the 15th, by the way. So. Ooh. Okay. So, a lot. How many years do you have? Well, clean off of drugs, 18. Wow. With no alcohol in my life, uh, two and a half. Mm. And that, you know, the alcohol, and again, I'm, I have no problem talking about this. There was no DUI. There was, yeah. there was, but it doesn't have to get bad to wake up one day and say, you know what? There is a better version of me. And I want to access that. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better human being. I want to sleep better at night. I want to have right. full energy How at the wake gym up in, in the, the morning. morning. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. So it was just mm-hmm. it was just a decision that I needed to make. I wasn't desperate to make that decision, but it was a decision I needed to make. And well, I, and our kids. Absolutely. You know, it's like well, I congratulations. didn't want my son to see that. I know we didn't. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. kids do what they see mom and dad doing. Yeah. So. I know that's not what we had planned to talk about, but I'm glad we are talking no, about it because it makes it you who you someone, are today. You know? Right. They're not alone. And there's plenty of um, resources for them to go to to get help. Before we get into your book, I want to talk to you about being a working mom and finding that balance. And I, I always ask this question, especially of uh, women, not that men don't also have to struggle with this and try to figure it out. But I always ask women, the people that I'm interviewing, can you have it all? And oftentimes the answer is, yes, you can have it all, but maybe not all at the same time. Yeah. Or yes, you can, but there's some compromises. And there's, because I think everybody's trying to figure that out. Yeah. I, I don't have balance by any means. What do you mean by that? <laughs> because mine goes into... I mean, I'm looking at you. You're, you're healthy. You're, you're alive. You're sober. You well, love right, your pig and your son and your husband. Yes, and so. But right now, to be truthful, my family's suffering okay. from it. Because, what is it, January and February, I've got three and four shows going. So I am 
then also trying to fit in my speaking engagements and promote the book and then be here and go on another, you know, it's just like, I'm so busy right now, but March and April, I have off. Okay. Okay. Which, so that's when you get to come back around and say, hi, I remember hey, me, ma'am. sorry. <laughs> okay. But that's how my business is. It's like in the film industry, TV industry, things like it's all or nothing. Right. right. And so that's kind of how we live our life. It's like between my husband's career, because he's commercial. So he's like not every day, Monday through Friday either. And so with both of our schedules, it's like we've got this good balance of like, all right, you're going to be around. You're going to be able to do this. You're going to be able to pick up. Where, how old Eli is your son? 12. He's 12. Okay. And, you know, like today I'll drive home and I'll pick him up. And maybe get dinner on the table, but then I got a call to go to my celebrity client's house to cut his hair. You know, so it's like there's, and you got to say yes to these things. Whose hair are you cutting tonight? Uh, Robert Hershevec. Okay. He's Shark Tank. Okay, there you go. Yeah, he my guy. (laughs) (laughs) But like some days are family, some days are work, some days are both, but it's just, it's a day-to-day thing for me. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. <laughs> have you ever met anybody who is perfectly balanced in every area? No. I never have. No. And that, you know what? That's the myth. Yeah. That, that you can get so good at what you do that you will one day achieve perfect balance and that equals happiness. And that's just this myth. Because no. I can do that. I can like swing the pendulum over to the gym where my, my diet is incredible, my sleep is incredible. You know, I am like strong at the gym and I'm liking the results. And all of a sudden, my family's like complaining, like, you're never home. Oh, okay. Then I swing the pendulum to my right. family and now my career is suffering somehow. Yeah. You know, people at work are like, you know, where'd you go? You disappeared. Then I swing the pendulum to my career and now I haven't done volunteer work for a long time. So I swing the pendulum over to get some spiritual balance. But that's, to me, I look at that like it's an adventure now. Mm-hmm. Like that's what makes life exciting and interesting. Yeah. It's interesting every day. Never it's balanced. never the same. Right. Always different. Which, honestly, I love it. And if I didn't have all of this in my life, I would probably find something else to do. <laughs> would you be the best version of yourself as a mom if you completely gave up your career? You know, that's funny. Because my son actually said to me one day, like a year ago, he was like, I wish you were a stay-at-home mom. And I looked at him and I go, Really? I go, when I have my days off, I ride your ass. <laughs> <laughs> did, he, did he change his He tune? started laughing. He goes, that's true. I go, it would be every day. And he's like, oh, yeah. Go to work, Mom. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you're right. He's like, you're happy working, too. Yeah. If you completely gave up the gym because you're super busy with work and being a mom, would that improve your role as a mom and a wife? No. Okay. No. Right. So we do it. We just yeah. we just do it all and we figure out from one day to the next. Well, I think the best thing is to teach your kids, like, especially with women. Like, women have careers and they are super women. And we still come home and, like, make sure that there's food in the fridge and laundry and keeping up with everything that men don't tend to think about. Oh, and by the way, you're supposed to solve everybody else's problems. <laughs> don't think about your own because that's very selfish. Right. Think about everybody else's problems, but yeah. Yeah. Right. So because we're talking about this a little bit, uh, so give us a day in the life. And I don't mean a particular day, but let's look at a a 30 to 60 day 
period of time, a day in the life of Gerilyn? Because you said right now, January and February are crazy and you're working on three or four shows. Mm-hmm. Like, So what shows are you working on right now? Okay, well, January we had The Voice, um, Songland started up as well. I have Disney Fam Jam, the dance show for kids. That just ended this past weekend. And then I have Celebrity Family Feud next weekend for a couple weekends. It's just like... Okay, so The Voice... Songland. Some of these are. Are these shows taping the same day? Um, sometimes. So what does that okay, look like? Okay, so I have a team. Okay. Around me, I hire my team. They are amazing. You know, Dean and I kind of we have a Dean lot of the same, yeah. Dean Banowitz and I we sort of have some of the same people floating throughout our shows because our shows don't always shoot at the same time. Okay. And. Um, so my team, there was a day I had the voice shooting Songland and Disney Fam Jam. Three yes. shows in one day. Yes. So when that happens, I am actually on set of whoever needs me the most, which would be usually for this particular day, it was the voice. Okay. So the voice needs you that day. So you have your incredible team that, and we'll talk about how you got that team, mm-hmm. what you're looking for, what works for you, what does not work for you. But you have this team that you trust. Hey, I'm at The Voice today. That's where I'm most needed. You are handling Songland. You are handling yeah. this other show. Okay? Yeah, I pretty much handle everything up until the point of doing hair. Okay, so... Right? So at The Voice, then what are you doing that so day I, the Voice? Uh, well, on The Voice, like the knockout day, which is a big stage day... I did do some hair, but I also design and the looks and and hand, you know, if we're putting hair extensions in, I have that available. I have all the supplies. For the contestants. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know, with uh, Songland, that's pretty much just normal everyday hair. It's songwriters presenting their songs to producers and right. guest recording artists. So, which is very cool interesting. Cool show, by the way. Very I, cool. Yeah, I was I watching it. I was like, love it. completely sucked into it. Yeah. Very cool. So that's just normal everyday hair. So that's pretty easy. And my team has my back. I know they do great work. I know that they're professional. They'll be there for touch-ups. They're, like, I can count on them to be me. So that's what forms my team, is when people can live up to my expectations, which is just be on time, be professional, be, you know, respectful and do your job. Whoa, whoa, say that again. Be on time. Be on time. Really? That's important? (laughs) Yeah. Be on time, be respectful, be professional and do their jobs. Okay. So what what is your title? You're the department head? Yes. You're the department head for... Hair only? Yes. Okay. Yes. When you Are you into, ever the department head for makeup? No. Okay. In the local 706 union, you are either hair or makeup. Okay. You are not both. Um, so since I have a cosmetology license and I love hair, I opted to go for hair. I actually was on a show a long time ago, and when I first, it flipped union, and I was a makeup artist. But I didn't want to be a makeup artist in the union. Okay. Because hairstylists can work every day of their lives, which is true. Okay. Whereas makeup artists, there's it's a so, tougher gig or it's yeah, more, less so work? Many. Or, oh, there's so many. Okay, got it. There's so much work, but there's so many of them. Got For it. us, we actually need hairstylists in our union. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're the department head. 
So when a show like that hires you, they're hiring Gerilyn. You're the department head. Mm-hmm. And they're trusting, okay, Gerilyn's not here today. And they're okay with that because they know that you sent your team. Yes. Okay. How would... <laughs> unfair question. How would a team member screw that up for you? They're late. They're not professional. What yeah, else? Yeah. Honestly. And not being respectful to others around. You brought that up three times. What do you mean by that? I think that everybody needs to be respectful to one another, whether it's a production assistant, which is the lowest level, or it's the director. I've found being in this business for many years that a lot of the production assistants that I've worked with in the years are now my producers. Okay. So it's like, you must be respectful because you are paving the way for your future as well. And, um, so somebody that was at the lowest, yes, over 15 years, 15 years ago now is the producer of the show, but you are nice and respectful to them 15 years ago. Oh, it's Gerilyn again. I worked with her 15 years ago when I was a nobody in this industry. Yeah. She was respectful. Let's give her the gig. Well, the fortunate thing is, like, with The Voice, I've been on nine years, Shark Tank 10 years. So, like, these are people that I have been around for years and years, which is really unusual. And seeing people blossom in their careers. So... Why, I, why do they hire you? Well... Obviously, you're you're a great hairdresser. That's a given. You know, I actually started out on The Voice. I think people need to know this. I didn't just start out as a head hairstylist. I started out in the business as just a hairstylist that everybody hires as a day player, and I come and go, and, and then I got recommended to um, The Voice to Sean Finch, who was the department head at the time, first season. And so I was a hairstylist to him, and then by season three, I became the key. Because at the time, we didn't have a key because it was a different kind of show. Like, people didn't really understand. It was a long time ago. So we didn't have a key. Then they decided the show needed a key hairstylist, which is second in charge to the department head. I became that person. By season nine, he left. I got the position as department head. And then I made Megan Herrera shop my key. Right. And, um, and so at that point now, I'm known as a department head. Okay. Then what happened was somebody referred me to the VMAs, okay. to department head the VMAs, which scared the crap out of me. I was like... Tell them what the VMAs are. Oh, Video Music Awards. There you go. MTV's Video Music Awards. So I got that job and hired my team, which is the same team I use on The Voice. And so from that, a producer went on to Lip Sync Battle. And then he hired me for Lip Sync Battle. And then that's how it rolls. It's like all of a sudden now I am department heading show after show after show because the producer liked what I did, whatever that was. Maybe it was they didn't hear anything from me, right? And I just did my job and we left. Because a lot of times people want to be able to work with you and trust you and not have to. If you are hearing things from producers, a lot of like back and forth of like change this, change that. It means that something's not being communicated right. Like you're not yeah. delivering what is expected. Sometimes there's too many cooks in the kitchen. you got to learn how to handle that. Some people don't want to talk to producers. They would rather just be under me. Does it, you know? Yeah. Some people don't want to be department heads. They right. just want to come in, do hair, and leave. Right. So that's kind of how it rolled. Got it. So why did you decide to 
do more hair rather than pursue a career in makeup? Well, when I had the, you know, when I was in the freelance world, I was doing both because that's a double hitter to me, to be able to do both. People like to hire one person to do hair and makeup, and I loved both equally. I got hired on a TV show called The Swan. It was a reality show, makeover show. Do you remember that? Wasn't that when they, like, did plastic major surgeries? Crazy. That that scared me. It was scary to me. Got it. I was a makeup artist on that. Okay. So... What happened was that show turned union and I was a makeup artist. So then I really had to sit and think. And I went and talked to the union. And the president at the time, she was like, wait, you have a hair license too? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you don't want to join the makeup union. I was like, why? And she's like, because there's so many makeup artists. There's like double makeup artists to hairstylists. And if you want to work the rest of your life, do hair. So I went and talked to other friends, hair and makeup people, and I really decided that for my purpose, I wanted to do hair. So not that I didn't love either one differently or, but now I absolutely love hair way more. Like I don't even want to do makeup anymore. Got it. You know, unless it's men's grooming. There you go. There you go. Okay. Was that a hint? You you want to you want to fix me today? You want to? No. I really want to do men's grooming today <laughs> on you. Okay. Let's jump into your your book. And the thing I love about this is we could completely escape and leave the world of hair and entertainment because this book is applicable to everybody listening to this. Yeah, I honestly could talk about the five F words all day. Congratulations. <laughs> so, I mean, I love the. The title, the the five F words to manifesting your life. Yeah, yeah, that came up because in 2018, the very beginning, I was at a place in my career where I was like, "What more can I do?" Because you know, we always are constantly trying to grow in our careers, and so I was at this point. I'm department heading all these shows. My life has become way more amazing than I had ever anticipated, and I was like, I just started praying, and I was like. Ask the universe, I'm like, let me be your vessel. I have no idea what it is, but I want to be your vessel and just show me the way. So that's how that started. And things just started rolling. And then it was like, my friend asked me, she's like, why is it everything you say happens? And I'm like, well, it doesn't always happen that way, but I can I literally have to be careful if I think things, say things, like I know that the universe is starting to make it happen. Right. So, you know... I, and then that, that works both in a positive way and a not so positive right. way. Like I, I love telling the story of a friend who complained about her job all the time and yes. then one day she got fired. And she thought that was just horrific. I'm like, what do you mean? You manifested this. You made this happen. You hated that job. So the universe stepped in and said, okay, we'll take this away from you. But yeah. she was so upset about that. Sorry, you can't put that out there and think that it's not going to come true. It's so true. Our words are so right. powerful. So powerful. But when I had first got sober, I start, read a book called Excuse Me, Your Life is Waiting, <laughs> which resonated with me. And that talked about manifesting. And at the time, this was before The Secret even came out, I was like, why aren't people talking about this? Like, what do you mean? And so I started testing little things. And like I said, I got my first job that changed my career within two months of 
consciously manifesting. The thing is, is like we're always manifesting, right? right? But when you put conscious intention into things, it happens very quickly. And Can I ask you, how, how do you manifest? Do you like cut photos out of a magazine and glue them to a dream board? Are there positive affirmations and words on your bathroom mirror? Do I, you chant and have mantras and do meditation like how do you manifest okay i on a daily basis will write down three things that i want to have happen in the present tense so give us an example i am a global empowerment speaker and author okay okay i am debt free i'm debt free yeah. Are you debt-free today? I have a couple uh, backyard loan there and solar panel <laughs> loans. Those two things I want to pay off quickly. Right. I am um, debt-free. I am debt-free. See, I like it. Uh, we tell the truth in advance. Yes. <laughs> it's putting it into present tense. Got it. Because if you Why is that important? Because if you say, I am going or I will, it will always be that. It'll keep it in the future. In the future. You want to manifest you, it to the If present. you want it to happen quickly, put whatever you want into present tense now. So I write three things every day. And sometimes they're different because it could be for the day, right? And then I write an affirmation. Okay. And that is an I am. Okay. And then um, at the end of the... Oh, and I write three things grateful. Okay. So... I have this journal, okay? Three things in the present, an affirmation, and then three things that I'm grateful for. Why why the gratitude Um, Because gratitude will change your life. You know, if you can be grateful, it's hard to be grateful and be in fear at the same time. Did you used to do the positive affirmations, I am debt-free, I am healthy, I am rich, I am the... Without the gratitude list... Uh, no, I've always done You've gratitude. Always done them the grat- these actually the I am's in the present, like the goals in the present, that is newer to me in the last couple years of that year and a half, two years. Pretty much since I started being on this mission, I've always done ten gratitudes wow. in my car on my way to work. Mm-hmm. I'm always thinking about my gratitudes and I have a prayer that I do and a mantra in the car a lot of times because I've got a 45 minute drive but in the morning of doing those but at the end of the night I love to write three things that were amazing that happened okay and then one thing I could have done differently Hmm. interesting I think the one thing I could have done differently is really important because we all make mistakes and it's like I should not have yelled at my son the way I did or reacted a certain way, mm-hmm. you know. So it just makes us conscious of our behavior. That takes a lot of discipline to do all of those things that you're talking about. It's pretty easy when you get into the habit, oh, right? So it's habit. And I also, and I don't do this every day, but I truly love meditation. And if I can do it for at least, and I tell my classes when I speak to them, at least five minutes. That's all it takes. Like for you to get quiet and if you are counting your breaths, because it's hard to shut off our minds. And if you're counting your breath and counting one, two, three, one, just counting, it's hard for your mind to wander like, oh, I got to go make dinner. Oh, what am I going to, you know? And it's like, oh, if that starts to happen, get back to the count. 
and just get in tune with your body. And then when your mind finally gets, it will start shutting off and not thinking. And then I love a laser beam. I talk about this in the book too. A laser beam going from my belly through the top of my head to the universe Mm. of like, I don't know what I need right now, but bring it. And you feel this jolt through the laser beam coming in, and I'm like, thank you. I like that you said what you're repeating your mantra is, I don't know what I need right now. I think that's an important prayer or an Mm -hmm. an important message or an important mantra to put out there. Because we think that we know what we want. Yeah. Like, like, Like we're giving our shopping list to the universe i would like a bmw please right well in the book the first thing you do is figure out what you want it's kind of a good segue actually but figuring out what you want can be really challenging and let's jump into this then so the the first f is figure it out yep okay figure it out figure out what you want exactly and sometimes the easiest way to figure it out is to figure out what you don't want you know, if you, I want to be a Hollywood hairstylist. Well, what is that? I want to be a television, film, Hollywood hairstylist. I know I don't want to work in print, an agency, and I don't want to travel a lot. I want to be home. Okay. So these are things like if you know what you don't want to do, it helps you narrow down what advice. you actually want. Okay, that's really good advice. You know, because when you look at the big picture, it's overwhelming. Right. You know, but if you, oh, I want to have a perfect schedule for my family. You say dream big or don't bother. Yeah. That came to me in my early sobriety because dream big was kind of a word and still is. And I don't know what it was. It was just like it came to me. It was just like, you know what? Dream big or don't bother. Because I didn't feel I was worthy of these big dreams for a long time. Like I kept telling myself that's what I wanted, but I was like almost doubting it that it could be possible. And so it just one day I was just like dream big or don't bother and now it's at the bottom of all my emails hmm. and it has been for years. That's great. Yeah. I mean, why not? What else about the first F figure it out? Well, you must be specific in figuring out what you want. For instance, I was like, fine, law of attraction, manifesting. I'm going to test you. And you know what? I'd like myself a husband. So, you know, I wrote down what I wanted. And then I was like, you know what? How about just throw in Rich as well? You know, because why not? And I ended up getting a guy named Rich. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And I was, so I was like, I see. Okay, so I need to write down ambitious, loves his career, makes over six digits. You know, I got more specific with what rich meant. Right. Got it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Your poor husband. He's A Danny. Pig and now He's death. Danny. Okay. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the second F, focus. And you say where focus goes, energy flows. Yeah. It's so true. It's like, you know, those people that are always focusing on the what-ifs, the bad stuff that can happen. Um, and, and, and so those things start to happen. And they're like, see, I told you. Um, I also like to demonstrate uh, in the classes, I take my necklace off and I show if you focus, 
my necklace, I can make my necklace move like a pendulum with just my mind, focusing on it and where I want it to go. I know it sounds crazy. No, I've seen you do this. But it's true. It's like our minds are so powerful, and I don't think people really get it. And it's just like riding a bike. You focus on, I don't want to hit that corner. I don't want to hit that corner. And what do you do? You hit the corner. Right? So where your focus go? You're driving down the road and you're looking at the accident on the side of the road and your focus is now veering over there and so is your car. Right. So these are things. Where you're focusing is where your energy is going to flow. So if you want to focus on the target where you want to be, you know, and you have clarity with that focus, that's where you're going to go and you're going to go fast. I remember a mentor many years ago telling me that worry is negative goal setting. Yeah. Thinking about the bad things that could happen, we're manifesting that as well. How often do you have to work on this yourself? How often do you have to (laughs) remind yourself of the stuff that you're out there now preaching and writing about? You know, I think about it. It comes up like I'm like, okay, when I was writing the book this summer, it was like, Everything was flowing. I had a deadline on the book. Everything happened so quickly. I was really in it. And then it's like, you know, there's times where I'm like, I need to live my own F words. What am I doing right now? Where I just had that thought, like, this is not what I teach. This is not what we do. Right? And so, like, it's just, it doesn't come up a lot because I'm, I've been practicing manifestation for 16 years. Do you teach this to your son? Yes. So tell us stories about him implementing this information. Like, how would he apply this? We actually um, had a couple years ago. Now, he's 12. So I'm telling you, you can teach this at any age. Um, He was nine, and he's a big baseball guy, Um, a big home run hitter. He, at the time, hit a home run. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Then he hit another one. And then at that point, I said to him, because we do a lot of the gratitudes and things like that at the end of the night. But I said to him, I go, let's make a goal. How many home runs do you want to hit this season? He thought about it. I was like, what is he going to say? And he goes, seven. And in my head, I'm literally thinking, are you kidding me right now? Seven? That's a lot. And I was like, okay, great. So I had him visualizing hitting home runs. I had him talking about it. We got pumped before he went to the game. Um, We have music that we play on the way there. And it's just all a mindset. That kid on the last game hit his seventh home run. It was insane. I was just like, and at that point I said to him, I go, do you get it? He's like, yes, I do. So here's what happened. The next season, he was hitting bloopers, like puddle, bloop, bloop. And I was like, what's going on, dude? Like, let's talk about this. And we figured out he was focusing on the home run and not the ball. So the minute he started focusing in on the ball rather than looking over the fence, he started hitting again. Hmm. So focus, where your focus goes, energy flows. Yeah. And so then there was another um, example. I love kids. So when he gets it, I actually spoke to his sixth and seventh grade class, too. Oh, did you? That's great. But like tough crowd, but it was so magical and they wrote me letters and they got it. And it just made me cry because I was like, oh, my God, they get it. Like, we need to get these kids young. Mm -hmm. And he had he started middle school in August 
and he was like freaked out. He was disorganized. He felt stupid. He's telling me all these things. And because he he is not used to like having to go to his locker and take things to, you know, switching classes and all that. And I was like, all right, well, let's get you organized. And I got him all organized with this binder and classes. And, I, and he's like, I'm carrying my backpack to every single class. And I go, okay, now I want you to say I am smart, organized, and focused hmm. for two weeks getting out of the car. At first, he's like, mom. Right. And I'm like, say it. He goes, I'm smart, organized, and focused. I go, okay, bye. And he, he, he was like, I'm smart, organized, and focused. Two weeks later, he looked at me. He goes, mom. I am smart, organized, and focused, and I mean it. (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, I was like, yes, these kids can get it. Mm -hmm. So when I was asked to come speak at, I spoke to three different classes. It was amazing. Wow. Yeah. Good for you, Mom. Yeah. The third fear, fearless action. And you say co-creating with the universe. Yeah. I mean, action is telling the universe you really want it. And fear is what makes us not do it and gives us excuses and tells us we're too busy or we don't deserve it. So fear, I put fearless not only because I was like, oh, I need five F word, but it was just made so much. It was like the universe was telling me like, yes, you need to talk about fearless, being fearless. And so, yeah, fearless action because action is what catapults us. What are, what are they? People used to say that knowledge equals power, mm-hmm. and somebody said, "No, it's not the knowledge; it's it's the action that equals the power." A lot of very smart people that never take that step. They That's don't have true. The action behind it. It's true. I mean, why not both? Right. <laughs> but yeah, action is telling the universe you're serious. Because well, you know you could sit there in meditation all you want, but there's no action behind it. So, what are the things that? still bring fear for you gosh you know I feel like every year I tackle something very fearful that makes me feel so good the first well this year is obviously it's like I actually am not sure yet it's the book and everything but last year was the speaking being on a stage in front of people because that's not what I do like, I like to work behind the camera. They say it's I like the to... number one fear, public speaking. Does that scare you? Yes, yeah. it honestly did. So what did I do? I hired a speaking coach mm-hmm. and someone to help me with a PowerPoint presentation. You Actually, took action. I took action because I know through all of my education I've had with podcasts and, and other mentors that if I want to be the best, i got to hire the best. Right. right. So I had someone help me with that. And so through experience, I've gotten a lot better. I was just telling you yesterday was so great, and I, mm-hmm. I felt, like, really comfortable on stage. So last year was about conquering that fear. The year before was surfing with my son. Mm-hmm. Um, sharks and the Pacific Ocean freak me out. But... I felt like I had to do it. Like it was something I needed to do for myself and for the experience with him. Um, The year before was I bought a Harley. My husband, I used to ride on his Harley. And we always said when Eli gets big enough, he could ride with my husband. And... He's, so it booted you out. He's, I'm he's left in the dust. Right. And so Literally. I was like, I'm a problem solver. So I'm like, right. how am I going to do this? And I was like, I need to buy my own bike. Right. And so I bought my own bike and got lessons and did all of the action to, you know, become. Overcome the fear. 
And by the way, if I had listened to every single person that told me I was too old, too dangerous, that I shouldn't do it, and listened to their fear, right. I wouldn't have done it. So I love to like take something once a year of like, oh, yeah, that's my fear. I'm going to cut right through it and do it. Good for you. Number four, feel it. Tap into your power to manifest. I love this one. Feel it. Feel it already existing. Like you already have it. Like when I think back to when I wanted to become a Hollywood hairstylist, I would feel it already existing in my life. Like I am a Hollywood hairstylist and I still get this crazy smile on my face. Like I I really am. But it was like I remember those feelings of that. It's like falling in love for the first time or, you know, when you fall in love, you get the little butterflies and excited and you're glowing. It's like, that's what I tell people. It's like, I want you to feel that for your goal, for your dream, you know? And so it's kind of like turning on a light switch Hmm. of like, bing, I'm going to feel it. I like to feel it kind of a couple times a day. Right now it's about me helping others and empowering others and what that feels like. You know, when I get the DMs or the emails or people telling me that I changed their life or I helped them so much or, you know, that feeling that I get of helping someone is so beautiful. Hmm. I don't know. So that's feeling it, feeling it existing already. Number five is faith, knowing and believing. Yeah, faith. Faith in yourself, faith in the universe and the energy, faith that it will happen. Don't have that self-doubt. You are worthy. I like to talk about faith last because I I actually had a problem with faith when I first got sober. I was never brought up religious or anything, and I didn't believe in a God. So I had a really hard time with that. And so I like to tell people that faith is about believing in yourself and the energy that's around you. For me, it's a higher power. It's God. It's universe. It's everything, you know. So just know that it will happen and forget about the outcome of how it will happen. Just keep your eye on the target. So why did you say that you had a a problem with that? Mainly because you weren't raised that way or was there some negative connotation to a religion or how did that play out for you? I was not really raised with a religion but my dad's side of the family is Catholic. And so the it was just a lot of, I'm not a rule person. And I had a hard time <laughs> believing a lot of this stuff. Right. And my mother-in-law, I love her to death. She is very religious. And I told her, I said, she loves me for me and my spirituality. And I love her for her. And I said to her, I go, if Jesus Christ is standing up there in heaven when I arrive, I'm going to be like, oh, my God, you exist. Thank you so much. You know, I know he'll take me in. If this is what really is to be, then great. But for me, it's about energy and, and the love and being kind to people and, you know. So your definition of faith or spirituality would be what? Believing that the universe will take care of you and trust and knowing that you're not alone. How much does that need? You said you like talking about this one last. Why? Because I don't want to shut somebody off from hearing me because 
I think some people get shut off by the word faith because they feel it's religious. Got it. And I never want to turn somebody. It can be that, but it doesn't have to be that. Right. For and some people, if some, if God and Jesus and Buddha and all whatever your religion is, yes, right, yes, that's your faith. But somebody who doesn't believe in anything, I want them to believe that there is something. And energy that this message that you have of figure it out, focus, fearless action, feel it, faith, all of that still plays in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it doesn't always have to be connected to a religion, right? Okay. Yeah, it's not connected to a religion for me. Okay. So, what's your hope with this book? Honestly, I wrote it under a hundred pages. Super easy to read. It's like an hour of empowerment for people. I did not write it because I'm like, oh, I want to write a book. It was literally after speaking to different schools and hair at hair shows, people started asking me, do you have a book? And I was like, no. And then me knowing the universe... After the third time, I was Somebody like, says, "Do you have a book?" You're like, well, "I guess." I'm and then it was the fifth time. I was right. like, "I got to write a book." Oh, well, you, um, you need it five times, not three, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> Some I of us still, are more, I was still in more denial. stubborn than others, I was like, right. "Okay, I guess if you really want me to, tell me more." And so, right. I thought, okay, if I'm going to write a book, it needs to be quick, easy to understand, no foo foo words, and so that you can pick it up, read it, and be done. Like L.A. to New York flight type yeah. thing, right? right? The best book I ever read that was quick like that was um, Deepak Chopra's Seven Spiritual Laws okay. of Success. Mm-hmm. And that was an hour of empowerment. And so I think with our busy times and people not really doing a lot of reading, I think people are doing audio and things like that. This is a perfect read. And it's plus, I like this as a paperback because I have little note pages. I also have, I think it's more of a like workbook type thing. Like you might want to open up. I have little life hacks and I feel like if you need to read, like I should read up on faith again right now and just remind yourself. And it's just that kind of book. What was the process for you like of writing this book? Cause I've felt that, I mean, writing my book was something, even if I never published it, even if nobody ever read one word of it, mm-hmm. that process of writing down what I believe, what I stand for was just so profound for me. Did you experience that it as well? It really helped me with my speaking and being able to know like how to express myself more. Because like I said, it was it's scary and it's hard to public speak. So by writing the book, it really helped me through that. Okay. And the book was super easy to write because it's what I want to talk about. Got it. So... You have said, don't be a lobster. What does that mean? <laughs> don't be a lobster. I wrote that down when I heard you speak, and I, now I can't even remember the story. Let me don't tell be you a what lobster. that is. You got to be careful with who you share your big dreams with, okay? Because not everybody wants you to succeed. And so, lobsters, if you put two lobsters in a basket, you don't have to put a, a lid on a basket. If one lobster starts to climb out, the other lobster is going to yank it back in. Okay? So don't be friends with the lobster. You want a lobster to help you lift you up and 
you know, you're so that's of, true. You don't if you have okay. two lobsters so, in the basket, you don't have to put a lid on to keep it them is. In. But I've heard now that my book's gotten out there, it's female lobsters, which is very bizarre. And where they're the ones that will drag you down. Yes. Okay. Which I don't like to talk about that because I like to think of us women as empowering each other. Okay. So So I just say lobsters. But yeah, put two lobsters in a basket. You don't have to put a lid on it because the other one will drag the other one back in. It's funny, right? It is funny. You talk about the importance of finding your tribe. Yeah, my tribe. My tribe are my girls that know everything about me you know we is that a large circle or is that a small circle it's five of us okay that's a small Um, circle these are my sober girlfriends and they are the ones that i i told i was going to go out drinking again (laughs) they are the ones that are still good luck luck with that they are still with me today but throughout my drinking too it's like we stayed in touch it's like we love each other for like no matter what and these women are the women that I would do anything for. They're my tribe. And how do you, and I'm not saying this exactly, or I don't mean this exactly how I'm saying it, how do you use your tribe? How does your your tribe play in, um, you know, in, in this crazy life that you have of being a working mom and, yeah, and a well, wife and everything? How does that tribe fit into all of that? With my relationship with them, they're my girlfriends, you know. We can talk about anything. And then, like, you know, there's... Do you have a better marriage because you have this tribe on the side? Yeah, it's, you know, because we all can talk about different things that are happening in our marriages and with kids. It's funny because we all met each other single, and then we had marriage and babies all at the same time, too. So, like... But one of my friend, she has two kids that are a little bit older than all of ours, and she was married first. So she was sort of my mentor, right? right? And so, yeah, we just help each other. Like, we know we can trust each other to not go outside and share other things about what we've shared. These are people that I can trust. I hate to say this. They know where the bodies are buried. But because that's not true. There's no bodies. But, like... They know everything, then I can trust that it's a secret within us. Do you guys have, like, rules? No. Do you have guidelines, uh, things that you live by that that keep you close, that keep the trust intact? I think that just kind Because I think everybody, whether they admit it or not, people are looking for a tribe. Everybody needs, needs a tribe, and they keep on blowing it. Like, yeah. gosh, that would have been a great person for my tribe, and I blew it. I think with our 12-step programs that we're in, I think that the anonymity that that brings into our lives okay. also came into our personal lives so it works. as the tribe. Got yes. It. We have something special. We have a bond that is a – we didn't have to discuss, like, oh, don't share this with anybody. It's just known because of the anonymity that we have among each other. Right. Yeah. So you adopted the 12 steps yeah. from sobriety, and that works really well it, in, you know, honestly, in keeping your tribe intact. I will say if someone can find any sort of 12-step program, it can only better their lives. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to be struggling with drugs or alcohol to find value in a 12-step program. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I've had people come in or have gone into Al-Anon or something. They're like, oh, my God, everybody should, like, know about this. Right. Guess what? It's not a secret. <laughs> it's like, right. yeah, it's out there. Mm. <laughs> There's books. See, I for years thought that my tribe mm-hmm. was supposed to be massive. Mm. That it was supposed to be, you know, hundreds of people. Or maybe even just 30, you know. And so all right. 30 of us are going to go on vacation with each other every single year. And I would take 30 people with me on vacation. And all 30 of these people, I need to get on the phone with them and tell them what just happened. All 30 of these people need to give me advice when this is going on. That's just crazy making. Right. But I think that we can have those groups too. Right? But I think that... But that's not what you're talking about. No. Small. Yeah. Small circle. I think it's quality over quantity for sure. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Good for you. This is great. I'm, so, I'm just so... Enamored yeah. by you as a person and, and this, you know, this sincere passion that you have. And honestly, I feel like, let's talk about marriage for a second. My husband and I, because I think that, you know, in the world of divorce and like it's just so common, um, I feel like with our relationships, my husband and I at two years of marriage decided that we needed to protect our marriage Hmm. so what that meant was if you're in a situation which we all know can come up that you may not tell the other person because you shouldn't probably be around it or doing it right Mm -hmm. that you walk away okay which means because we work in the business and we may travel sometimes and people like to say what happens on location stays on location, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like that is not what we're about. We always have the intention of protecting our relationship. That means that if it makes me like, oh, this is probably not a good thing for me to tell Danny, I better walk away. So you have to have intention in your relationship if you want it to last, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I definitely want to work on our relationship more after 13 years. It's like I listened to this podcast this morning. I'm like, I'm sending you this podcast. It's amazing. It's like, oh, my God, let's talk about it afterwards because it's like talking about putting the three keys into your relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes work. You know, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't happen because we get complacent. Or it's ran like a – Send all of us that podcast too. Right? Or it's ran like a business. Right. Right? Because we are like on the, yes, it's actually on a Tony Robbins podcast. That's beautiful. Yeah. So I just, I'm like, I can't wait to listen. I'm going to listen to it again Mm. on my way home. Mm. (laughs) But putting intention into our relationships. I love it that that's what you want to end on. Yeah. Your marriage. Marriage and family and love is what it all comes down. And health, right? Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you. This is Again, wonderful. I'm just so proud of you. Do you have a final message for our listeners? I just, you know what? We all deserve to have anything and be whoever we want to be. And, like, just love each other and be respectful to one another. And be positive and grateful. Your life will change if you have those things. Congratulations. I can add nothing to that. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. You're you're a pure joy. 